Hi, welcome to Back to Excited, episode 163. My name is Arvind. Joining me as always, my colleague from PensionPlanPuppets.com. It's Acting the Fooliman. Hi, everybody. How you doing, Fooliman? Not too bad. Yourself? Yeah, I'm doing all right. Um, enjoying... Actually, I don't know what I'm enjoying. What's the topical thing that I'm enjoying? I'm just existing. Just, just floating. <laughs> just continuing to respirate and move through the world. So. Yep, exactly. Things were going well for the Leafs. They were on a winning streak, and they looked poised to extend the aforementioned winning streak against the most impressive opponent that they'd played. And that was the Colorado Avalanche last night. The Leafs were up 4-1, and meme goes here. They blew the lead. Yeah. And they lost in overtime, 5-4. Yeah, and I mean, we, we were chatting about this off-air before we started, and in of itself, you say... You lose 5-4 to the Avs in overtime. You don't have Marner. You don't have Kasha. You don't have Engvall. You're playing someone named Brett Sini, um, who, I swear to God, I did not hear his name on the broadcast once. I, like, he, he might as well have been a ghost. Uh, it, it was like the, 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 the Par Lindholm Memorial. Did this guy actually play award? <laughs> yeah. Uh, although I will note, it's not like this guy sawed off his low event, unfortunately. Like, his line did kind of get killed mm. in shots against. It's just very little memorable was happening while that fourth line was out there. Yeah. So, I mean, in a vacuum, this is an acceptable loss. But obviously, you have a 4-1 lead. You, you want to bring that home. Mm. And it's somewhat surprisingly to me, when I looked at the stats for the game, it was relatively even in terms of expected goals, at least by, um, at least by evolving hockey. Mm-hmm. I think Money Puck had it more in favor of the Avs, which is more how it felt, but I think that's just the difference between um, you know, expected goals models, I suppose. And I think maybe it was they're considering that the Avs had better um, power play chances, or at least more power plays. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- I've okay. You you guys know I I don't really complain about refs often, if mm-hmm. at all. I think there was some real game management when the Leafs had the lead. There were definitely like some some penalty or some things where I'm like I I think that would have been called if the Leafs weren't up like four one or four two or whatever. Yeah, I try never to focus on refereeing unless it's really egregious. I didn't think this was great. And I thought the net impact was probably a little bit to the benefit of the abs. Over yeah. the long run, that'll balance out. But yes, yeah, yeah it wasn't like, you know it wasn't even. So. Yeah, t- and take nothing away from the abs in the sense that they they absolutely dummied the Leafs in the third period, right? It was just wave after wave after wave of um, constant pressure, and despite a fairly heroic Jack Campbell at times, they they got through. And again, as Insofar as there's an acceptable loss, this is an acceptable loss on the road. Mm-hmm. Very good team, shorthanded. I don't know if the Avs were missing any major players. I think all their big hitters seem to be playing. Yeah, um, uh, we saw a lot of them, it felt like, in the yes. third period. <laughs> yeah, well, and we can also talk a bit. Uh, we, we got some like good reception from how we kind of talked about the, the Nylander goal and basically the, the thesis of NHL players are really good and here's the mm-hmm. subtle thing that they do that is actually really, really hard that might not mm-hmm. seem it. And we can talk about that a little bit with a couple of players from the Avs because they, they, there are some really eye-popping plays um, by, by their star players. But I think we, 
it is just worth reiterating that like these are the teams and these are the games that are going to be measuring sticks for the mm -hmm. Leafs. Um, and this game in of itself, not anything to really fret over about or any or fret about or you know get super concerned over. But this road trip, and it was mentioned on the broadcast, is going to be a test for the Leafs in that they play Vegas, they play St. Louis, they play the New York Rangers, who I think are a bit of a paper tiger held up by, you know, they're Artemi Panarin and Igor Shosturkin in a trench coat, and that's it. Yeah, pretty um, much. But they are still one of the best teams by record, and beating, beating good goalies is also a part of the game. So this, this is going to be, this next week, two weeks, is going to be a set of games where I think we can learn hopefully more about the Leafs and how they generalize to facing tough opponents on the road. Mm -hmm. And we want them to pass that test, basically. So I, I don't have a ton to say about the game. Otherwise, I meant to say that, you know, we obviously miss, miss Mitch Marner. We obviously miss Andre Kasha. Kasha's probably our fifth best forward. Mm -hmm. So, you know, without those two guys, we are, we're always uphill. I think you know, the, the implied odds of that game had the Avs as, like, 61% favorites, which is, like, fairly sizable, and I don't, I think the true gap between the teams is much smaller than that. Yeah, that sounds believable to me. Uh, I think, if anything, this probably emphasized that at the trade deadline, the Leafs are looking more towards defense than forwards. Yeah. You know, I think that's another little piece of that narrative. Um, you, you would like someone to turn to when terrifying avalanche forwards are coming over the board in waves. Um, that might have a better chance of slowing them down. And I think the, the Leafs probably need that more than they need another forward. Because once they get healthy, I think their forwards are fine. Yeah, and I mean, it, but it's interesting. So, like, presumably a another defender takes Hall's spot in the top four. And, like, maybe someone has to shift to the right side. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, maybe we'll do a podcast later, closer to the to the deadline, about the defense options. The two big names that are on the block now are uh, Jacob Chikrin and uh, John Klingberg. Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, Jeff Merrick reported that for Chikrin, the uh, the Coyotes are looking for a player, a pick, and a prospect, which is uh, I've never heard that before. Um, in in <laughs> fairness to Merrick, he actually did specify that you know a, a good player a top prospect and a first round pick but that's also like the generic ask for any good player mm -hmm. right so that that i felt like that i could have i could have guessed that yeah. <laughs> um and they you know they really ought to get it for chick run yes he's, 23. he's good he's yeah he's he's been very good he's not having the greatest year currently because he plays in arizona which is right now the abyss of hell but He's got a good track record. He's big. He can skate very well. I've kind of secretly hoped that Chikrin would make his way to the Leafs since his draft year. I kind of have my eye on him. And I don't know if there's going to be a fit here. Um, it would be delightful if he shot right, but he doesn't. Yes, yeah, so um, that, that makes him a bit of an awkward mm -hmm. fit because who, who moves to the right side then? Or, exactly. or, do, you, or, or do you just like have a third pair that you play more equitably. Yeah. Like, it, it, it's all your comfort level with that. And, you know, the Leafs have done this before, where, you know, TJ Brody seems entirely happy to play on his offside. So, mm -hmm. uh, I, I'm not sure whether the fit there is problematic or not really an issue at all. But, yeah, he's um, a bit more of a shooting defenseman 
than I usually like. He had 18 goals last year in 56 games, en route to a sort of breakout season. This year he has much fewer goals, he has two, but he's so talented in an all-around sense that I do find him appealing, and of course he's young and he's cost-controlled. Things that yeah. everyone would desire. So. Yes, exactly. Um, so we'll go like more in depth there, uh, maybe maybe later, and similar on on Klingberg. Um, we so what we were planning on doing this podcast was talking about the bottom teams of the Atlantic, and then we'll, there'll be another episode um, soon where we go through the top teams. And the reason we wanted to split it up is because we're going to spend a lot of time on the top teams of the Atlantic because they're all really good. Mm -hmm. um, but before we do, actually, I wanted to, I guess, in, in, in the vein of NHL players are really good, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, Kale McCarr and his goal against the Leafs yesterday. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, first me off. Mad. Yeah. First <laughs> off, Kale so McCarr bad. is just a joke. He is absurd. Right? And, like, you don't, you know, hard-hitting analysis from back to excited. Kale McCarr is a good player. Um He's like the premier goal-scoring defenseman in the league right now. His shooting impact this year is bonkers for a forward, let alone a defenseman. And mm. he's probably not actually that good a shooter. He's probably running hot to some extent. And like, you know, I, I, there, I think Hockey Viz estimates him as like a plus 11% finisher. Um, so he's like 11, 11% better than the league average. And Austin Matthews is like 11% better than the league average. I don't think he's an Austin Matthews level shooter. Um, but he is pretty obviously an above average shooter, especially for a defenseman. Yeah, but what I found so the broadcast and Gary Gally, who I thought is a generally pretty good um, counter commentator, pointed out that you know a lot of defenders walk the line well. Makar um, is maybe the best at it in the league in how much mobility he gets when he does that. And the really impressive thing about his goal to me, and I saw this remarked upon on Twitter as well. I think Dom Lushishin mentioned it. Is he got a lot of power in that shot? kind of midway through his stride. Like, he, he didn't load up. And this is something that reminds me, you know, a lot of Phil Kessel. What, what people always said was so dangerous about Kessel coming off the rush is that there's almost no tell with when he's going to shoot because a lot of players, they have to, like, they have to load up. They have to get their weight transferred properly so that, you know, mechanically they can get a lot of power into the shot. Mm -hmm. Phil, because of both his kind of absurd athleticism, even though we don't think of him as a very athletic player, he's reportedly very, very strong and mm -hmm. very athletic generally, and because of his pool noodle stick, is just able to whip off shots at basically any point in his stride. Mm -hmm. Makar basically did the same thing. And it's one thing to, you know, get a lot of power off at weird angles. You know, we see Austin Matthews, or get a, get a shot off at a weird angle. We see Austin Matthews do that, and Matthews also has the ability to get it off with a lot of power. Makar did the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think I think that was that was really cool, and and it's very very hard to do that. I think shooting is one of those things where until I started playing hockey a little bit, I didn't realize how difficult shooting was. <laughs> Listen, to really pull the trigger with power on a, a snapshot, you know, I I well obviously like I'm not a good player, but like I have to be set. I have yes. to be you know in a good position to do that. And like, it, it, it's worth noting when you shoot, you are balancing on knives. Yeah. Right? So, it, it, when you do anything in hockey, you're balancing on knives. So, for, like, shitters like us, we need the stars to be aligned, the moon has to be in the right <laughs> position, a butterfly needs to be flapping its wings over the Pacific Ocean. Right? We need things to be perfect in order for us to get, like, the weight transfer 
and like for everything to kind of flow through mechanically to actually get reasonable power on the shot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With Bakar, what stands out to me is that he seems to have such balance that he's mm. content in pretty much any situation. It's like a tightrope walker where they're so good that for them, the experience of standing on a rope is not significantly different than standing on the ground almost. Like, at any point in his movements, Kale Makar has all of his options directionally. He can go wherever he wants. He had what some people are calling goal of the year earlier this week against the Chicago Blackhawks in overtime. And that was the subject of some discussion. Uh, Kirby Dock, who's uh, a, a young player for the, the Blackhawks, is kind of standing between Makar and the net, low in the zone. It's overtime, 3v3. And Makar kind of leads him up the boards. Dock gets caught, caught coming the wrong way. And Makar just turns 180 degrees in like zero seconds. And you could actually see Doc go, oh, motherfucker. And <laughs> there's no point where Doc gives up on the play. Makar is just gone because mm. he can change directions completely so fast that even if you're not, you know, a bad player or a bad defender or, you know, that immobile, he will just beat you with pure agility. Yeah, it, it's the hockey equivalent of like an Allen Iverson crossover. Yeah, like you, you just got like... Doc, and I was talking about this actually with Anthony Petrielli of uh, Maple Leafs Hot Stove, and we were debating how well Doc played it. And we both agreed he made mistakes at different points, but also, like, Kale McCarr can dance you in ways that very few players in the history of the game ever could. Just with that unbelievable pure skating ability. Anyway, he's at least the best offensive defenseman in the world right now for me. Yeah, I mean, it's... He's absolutely, he's absolutely up there. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned the word balance. I think that, that's the key, right? Like, he, he, at every point in his stride, he seems to be perfectly balanced. Mm -hmm. And that gives him all the options in the world because he can, yeah, he can, he can pass from every angle. He can shoot from, from every position in, in, his, in his stride. He can change direction seemingly at any point in his stride. You know, he doesn't need to, to wait to get his feet completely set under him. And when you can do that at game speed, it just... That, that's what makes him so much more faster and agile than, than other players. It's unbelievably impressive. Mm -hmm. I wish we had him. Yes, me too. Um, <laughs> Just but, throwing that out there. I'd like a good player. But, yeah, uh, but yeah. I mean, we should also talk... Austin Matthews had a brilliant game. And oh, he was unreal. Just, it's... Austin Matthews... Is, we, should, we should not ever lose sight of the fact that Austin Matthews is a Maple Leaf, and he's just unbelievable. Yeah, he is playing at a level right now where just I don't think I've seen a Leaf do it in my life. Yeah, uh, and you know, I I don't think it's an argument right now that Peak Matthews was a better player than Peak Sundin. Yeah, and Sundin was a first ballot Hall of Famer. Yeah, and like Sundin has the great longevity, which is partly what made his legacy. But Matthews is playing like I would say at minimum a top three forward in the world. And I think he's the second best player right now, to be honest with you, behind McDavid. He's, he's earned that. He's doing pretty much everything. His puck protection right now is borderline absurd. Like, I saw plays last night, and I kept thinking this. Like, the first checker would come at him, and Matthews would be like, yeah, I'm not even really that concerned with you yet. You're one guy trying to check me, and mm -hmm. so that's not a big deal. I can 
keep digging. I can hold on to this puck. I can keep waiting for a play. On a delayed uh, penalty call, he did a complete circuit of the offensive zone. That's always fun when you get to I joked he was waiting for Kyle Clifford to get off the ice. <laughs> Come on, Kyle. we got to do some work here. Yeah, so he was unbelievable. And obviously, he exploded early in the game um, to help the Leafs build that lead, which they subsequently blew. But the level he's playing at right now definitely gives the Leafs a chance against anybody. And so when we look at the star power that the Avs have in McKinnon, Brandon, Landeskog, Makar, terrifying players, I still think Matthews is actually better than any one of them individually. Yeah, so I, I, I agree. I mean, what Matthews is doing this year, he, in general, like the type of player Matthews is, he's one of the best offensive play drivers in the league. Mm-hmm. He's about league average defensively, which when you're one of the best offensive play drivers in the league means you have one of the highest play driving impacts in the league. And then, by the way, he's the best shooter in the world. (laughs) Yeah, it's just an absurd combination of skills in one player. And right now we're seeing it at its absolute peak. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a pleasure to behold. Anyway, so, you know, we're not too down over the Colorado Avalanche game. We would have liked to have won it. This doesn't feel as good as if we had held on, but, Mm -hmm. you know, we'll try and keep perspective on it and just keep seeing how the Leafs measure up to these uh, measuring stick games. Exactly. And speaking of teams that don't measure up, let's talk (laughs) about the Atlantic Division. And so we're going to go, I guess, from five to eight. And the first team we're going to talk about are the Detroit Red Wings. Right. So the Detroit Red Wings are having an okay year. This segment is going to cover some teams... That are not having great seasons. Yeah, the, the, the phrase not having a great year will be getting a lot of usage. <laughs> yes. Um, in Detroit's sense, they can feel pretty good, which is not something I would necessarily say about some of the other entries on this list. They're at Bettman 500, 16 wins, 16 losses, the three overtime losses. So... For those of you playing along at home, you may have noticed that the Detroit Red Wings have lost more games than they've won, but under the current NHL system, that means they've got half as many points as they could have. Um, They look more competitive for a playoff spot than they really are in the Atlantic because they're only three points behind Boston, but Boston has four games in hand on them and is better. So... (laughs) I don't think it's going to be a playoff season for Detroit, but this is the rise out of the basement year where some players begin to show things that will hopefully set them up for future success and everyone can feel good that at least they're playing meaningful games down the stretch. Yeah, um, on the closer to the playoffs than they appear thing, it's also worth noting that they've, um, that like their, their play driving stats and, and on ice shot numbers are, are not great either. Yeah, they've had a rough stretch. They were actually looking okay earlier in the year, and then things have kind of taken a dive. But uh, that said, um, again, this is a a team that was absolute trash the last few years running, and so now this is the beginning of them rising out of the cellar. And the question is now, how good are they going to be? And that question, to me, starts with Lucas Raymond. Yeah. Um, It is with a heavy heart that I report that Lucas Raymond is sick as hell. He's good. Uh, He's a first-line right winger uh, for the Red Wings now, because, like, who else would it be? But he is actually playing at a level where 
he's legitimately a top six player as it stands. Below the offensive blue line, he is terrific. I, I watched uh, some clips of him because, you know, we got to do some work to make this sort of credible. And his vision is absurd. He made a ton of these one-touch passes where he clearly knew where he wanted the puck to be before he ever got the puck. And it was on and off his stick like that. And it resulted in goals where if he'd even taken a second to steady it, he probably would have gotten reached by a defender. It was very impressive to me. He also scored a couple of snipes. I don't know if he's going to be a big volume goals for player uh, in the NHL. There's a lot of time for him to continue adding weapons, and he's certainly not a bad shooter. But I think his hallmark is going to be as a playmaking winger. And I think he's going to be a very good one. Yeah, on the shooting front, he it's very early. He has outshot his expected goals mm-hmm. this year. And in particular, he seems, from where he has scored his goals, it's kind of between the dots, high slot area. Mm-hmm. Um, which is, to be sure, like kind of a, a, go- a good goal-scoring area. So it, it's... But he, he does, he has, pe- people will talk about the home plate in terms of, oh, that's, that's where goals are scored. But mm-hmm. if you actually look at where goals are scored, it's more of like an oval. And you, if you go as far to the side as the face-off dots, you start getting into the kind of bad chance territory, actually. Mm-hmm. More than people think, more than people realize, because the initial goaltenders are very good and very big and they cut down the angle. But Raymond's actually having success from, from those areas as well. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that'll be interesting to see. This is going to be a theme throughout this, um, this podcast where we talk about these bad teams and we talk about, like, what's their avenue to being good? What's their avenue to having a top 10, top 5 forward or mm-hmm. top 10, top 5 defenseman? Um, and this is something I guess I didn't really appreciate early on when I was getting into hockey stats because the Leafs were really, really bad <laughs> and they never had players who could shoot above... Expect, uh, above expected, but like that is basically what you have to do in order to be a truly elite forward. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, you either have to, you know, make your shots more likely to go in, or you make, you know, someone like what Mitch, we think Mitch Marner does, make other people's shots more likely to go in because you're finding them in like consistently good spots. Um, Evgeny Kuznetsov is an example of the latter as well, mm-hmm. uh, where he's, he's a plus shooter on his own, but you just you look at how his teams do in terms of goal versus expected goal performance. And it's just bonkers, even when you exclude his Ovechkin minutes, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if, if, Raym, if the Red Wings are going to, you know, rise to, to prominence again, a huge part of it is going to have to be Lucas Raymond hits his 80th, 85th, 90th percentile outcome, and that involves him being an, a plus shooter. And what we've seen so far, we can't rule that out, right? There's, like, some evidence that he could be a plus shooter, and that's very important. Yeah, it, yeah, it's hard to get a gauge on. He had a hat trick earlier this season, and that's a good reminder to me that we're still dealing with a pretty small sample. Like, it's less yes. than half an NHL season for him because three goals can make up 30% of his goal total at this point. But um, he is very impressive to me, at least offensively. And again, he's 19 years old. Like, he turns 20 in March. Mm-hmm. So he's in the ascendant part of that growth curve where he's going to keep getting better and he's going to add more things. And, you know, I think right now he's the favorite for the Calder this season. And I think rightly so. Um, I don't bear like 
you know, top five ill will towards the Detroit Red Wings. They're not one of my least favorite teams, but I remember what they were like. And so I'm not that enamored of the idea that they're going to be really good again. Mm-hmm. But I think Raymond is the building block for that. I think he's going to be a star. Mm-hmm. So that's a starting point there. And then they've got a couple of names on defense, one of whom is in the NHL already. Um, Moritz Sider is an up-and-coming force. He's already on their first pairing at present. Making Detroit's first pairing is not exactly the Olympic level of difficulty. Yeah. <laughs> that it would be on a better team, but And it's still. also, like, a lot of... I, I remember looking into this when we were doing some research. Like, at, at five-on-five, it's... The top two pairings are pretty even. Mm-hmm. And then Cider just plays a lot of special teams as well. Right. So he's in the rotation with some of yeah. these other guys. The other names are not impressive. No one else on this uh, defense core in the NHL right now is that great. No, I mean, Cider is playing with Danny DeKaiser, who, yes, he is still in the league. Um, <laughs> if you've forgotten, which we would understand if you had. But we were talking about Cider. He's considered this extremely reliable two-way defenseman for a while the knock on him that i heard was that he wasn't dynamic enough on offense like he just kind of was there and i think that's why people thought he was overdrafted i think he was picked six overall and it was like sort of off board uh yes he was considered a bit premature but i think already steve eiserman looks to be vindicated in that pick and cider has also taken big strides on the thing that people pointed out as his weakness so there's definitely real top pairing potential there. And I don't mean top pairing in the sense of when the next guy up is Philip Ronick. I mean on a real team that might do real damage. Yeah, it is worth noting he has a lot of secondary assists right now. So I think he might be... I think people's impression of him as like an offensive dynamo might mm-hmm. be a little biased by that. Like that's half his points. He has 22 points and 11 secondary assists. Okay, um, so that's a lot. Yes. <laughs> And, I, you know, he and Raymond started the season like gangbusters. And yeah. And they've both cooled off a little bit. Um, but yeah, still... But, like, I mean, he's 20 or whatever, right? He's young. Yeah. If, if you're 20 and you're performing, you know, reasonably well... He's performing, I think, like a, a relatively average defenseman, but he's doing that at age 20, mm-hmm. right? So that portends very positive things for his future. Yeah, and for the record... Both Sider and Raymond are in the first year of their ELCs. Mm -hmm. And so even if we're saying it's going to be a couple of years before the Red Wings are making a real run, that does set them up conceivably to get real contributions in hopefully a competitive year uh, while these guys are still making under a million dollars against the cap. That's pretty significant. Um, And I guess now is as good a place as any to note that the infamously terrible Red Wings cap situation is now pretty much done. Mm-hmm. Like, their remaining awful contracts all end this year. And they still are going to be paying the buyout to just an ablocator for a while, which I still think was kind of questionable. Like, I would have just waited that out. But what Yeah, like, what, what are you using the cap space for? Yeah. But, that said, that's really their only cap charge, and it's not that huge going into the future. So, I think on balance... Uh, that certainly bodes well. Um, they've also got Simon Edvinson, who I know what I have heard about because he's played in the, the SHL up till now, but he's considered at least strong top four def- uh, potential. He would have had uh, a much-discussed World Juniors, for good or for ill, I think. He was one of the players to watch, but the World Juniors didn't end up 
happening beyond the first couple games. So, mm-hmm. just to put a number on the applicator buyout, um, oh, he's yeah. at two point three million this year and next, and then a bit over a million for the next three years. They also have Richard Ponick, who they've retained salary on for this year and next mm-hmm. at one point three seven five million. That was weird. That was in the that was in the Letty trade, right? Yes, and I, you know, we said at the time we thought that that was kind of a weird little mistake, but. I mean, it feels like they, I still think, I mean, I don't think Nick Letty's lighting the world on fire there, but I think this was sort of within the the framework of let's get someone who has been there and done that to teach these young guys how to be a pro and who can soak up some minutes and isn't going to, like, who, who can help insulate some of our younger players. Yeah, and that's kind of what makes it weird to me that he's playing with um, Philip Ronick instead of Maurice Sider. Well, they did start with Sider and um, and Letty at the start of mm-hmm. the year. I don't know if, why they went away from that necessarily, but the first like three or four games it was Sider and Letty, and then they switched to Sider and DeKaiser, and then Letty and Ronick. Is it weird to you that Nick Letty's only thirty years old? I, I swear to God, he's like forty-five. Yeah, like I feel like he was playing for the Blackhawks in I don't know nineteen ninety-seven. Anyway, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so. That's an interesting complexion on the defense. I've said before that I think the defense is really glaring on the Detroit Red Wings. And I remember Micah McCurdy actually responded to me once and saying, you know, actually their offense is worse, which was the case at the time. But they've got a couple of names coming. Like there's every chance that Sider and Edvinson are going to be the anchors for pairings. Um, Yeah. And, and right now, at least, the, the Red Wings are a worse defense than they are in offense. They're, like, slightly below average in offense and quite a bit below average in defense, at least per hockey fizz. Yeah, see? I'm vindicated now. So Again, you were right in your analysis. Oh, it feels so good. So, yeah, I, I think there's a lot to like there. But I do question whether they'll have enough forwards. And part of that problem starts with Philip Zadina. Yes. And I think, generally, so we can talk about Zadina, but... Mm-hmm. Again, this is a recurring theme that we're going to talk about throughout the rest of this pod. You know, building up is the hard part. Yeah. Like, it's... I will say, I think, by and large, Eisenman did an excellent job clearing out the uh, the junk contracts, being patient when called for, uh, chirping things. He didn't do it perfectly. As I've said, I thought the Richard Ponick retained salary was weird. Yeah. But you can afford a couple of little things like that, and on balance, he's done a pretty good job. Um, there's there's yeah. a line in, in Hamilton where George Washington says after um, like they've, they've won the, the Revolutionary War to, to Hamilton, you know, w- winning was easy, governing is harder. The NHL version of that is tearing down is easy, building up is harder. Yes, absolutely. Right? Um, and, and what Eisenman has in his favor is that record with Tampa Bay. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Right. Like you, you can, and like it's you. You can fuck up tearing down, mm-hmm. right? Like tearing down isn't super trivial either. Like team, teams mess that up as well. They get rid of the wrong guys. They tear down at the wrong time, right? Mm-hmm. They they don't hit uh, their 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 major draft picks, right? When they when they get them, but building up is is way 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 harder, especially when you get away from just picking top end players. Uh, mm-hmm. at, at you know in the front end of the draft in the top five, and the Red Wings right now I think you know barring some lottery luck, are going to be picking kind of middle to back end of the lottery. A lot fewer sure things at that point. They need to make that stick, mm-hmm. and they didn't do that with Philip Sedina. 
Yes, and Zadina was well thought of going into the draft. Everyone thought, oh, wow, how, how well did this break for the Red Wings? Zadina dropped to them. Mm-hmm. And at the time, there was some controversy over the Ottawa Senators taking Brady Kachuk mm-hmm. uh, ahead of Zadina. As you may recall, we discussed that before, but Kachuk looks like the, uh, the better pick in that circumstance, warts and all, by far. Mm-hmm. Whereas Zadina is in the very painful circumstance of being a scoring winger who doesn't score a whole lot. Yes, do not recommend that. Yeah, that's a problem. Free advice to NHL players. If you're a scoring winger, score. Mm. I charge $350 an hour. (laughs) Arvin Consultancies. So, yeah, yeah, and he's 22 now. You know, we've been talking about how Raymond and Sider are still in the very firm upward swing portion of their career. uh, Zadina still is, but it's not, you know, age 20 anymore. You were hoping for progress from where Mm -hmm. he started to now. You know, Zadina feels like he's at the step after the, okay, he's young, be patient step. It's, okay, he's still youngish, but why is he producing even less than he was previously? Like, when when you condition on his NHL track record... I feel like the probability of him being a genuinely above-average scorer is, is relatively low. Right. And that's like, even if you include the prior of him being highly drafted. Yeah, like, how much is that still worth coming up on four years out from the draft? You, you know, we're still tr- trusting that he's going to be some kind of sniper. And from what I hear, he's struggled to get the release in time. You know, he's a great shot when he does it, but, I mean, his finishing isn't that great either. But... I've heard he has trouble pulling the trigger in a timely fashion. And, you know, it's not so much that we're ruling out Zadina being an NHL player or anything like that, as if he's not going to be a star, that sucks. That stings in a sixth overall draft pick. And it's one of those things where you can only afford so many misses. Because this is the most crucial thing. And, zooming out a little bit, I think the Red Wings do have an issue of star quality at forward. Um, there's Dylan Larkin, who we can talk about. There's Raymond, who I think is a star winger in the making. Mm-hmm. But at center, what they have coming is Joe Valeno, who is not bad, but who probably peaks as a pretty good third-line center. And Rasmussen, who may reach the third-line center level, but I wouldn't put higher than that. Rasmussen was another guy people thought was overdrafted, I think, right? Like he... Yes, and they look more correct about mm-hmm. that one um, yeah. than they did about Cider, that's for sure. So, you know, some hits and some misses for Iserman. He's not a wizard. Right. Larkin, I think, I, I wrote this in our notes, I think he's in that Kadri zone. Mm-hmm. You know, um, so Kadri himself is obviously an example of this. Um, who's, another, who's another example? Um... Oh my god, I'm blanking on his name. The the guy that the Flyers signed for like seven years and too much money. Kevin Hayes. Kevin Hayes, there we go. Kevin Hayes is another example where like, and Hayes has declined, but I'm talking kind of like peak Kevin Hayes. Yeah. Um, In a given year, they can be like the 25th to 35th best center. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, granted, Kadri's having a bonkers year this year, but I don't think anyone feels that's really indicative of what he's been throughout his career. Mm Mm-hmm which is kind of a low-end-ish first-liner, high-end second-liner. To me, that's what Larkin ends up as 
generally, which is a very good player, to be clear. Yeah. Right? Um, but, yeah, it, it's... When you're building the archetype of a contender in your head, you don't imagine Dylan Arkin on your first line, you imagine him on your second line. Right. And if they're going to get around that, uh, the question is who's going to displace him. And right now, there's no one who I think is likely going to do that. Um, you know, I can see a pretty direct road to the Red Wings becoming like the peak Nashville Predators almost. If Cider um, is as good as he appears to be, if um, Edvinson comes in and eventually stabilizes a pairing, you know, they can become strong defensively and they'll have a lot of decent players to put around there. But will they have the elite scoring talent? And, you know, Larkin, I will say he's produced. He is blazingly fast. But yeah, I'm not sure he's quite enough of a star. It's just... If you're going to try and be really good without uh, a really great center, well, I mean, the last who was the last Stanley Cup champion who didn't have um, like a genuine star center at the time? Like maybe the Ducks, if you say Getzlaff was immature, but yeah, it, it does make it difficult. <laughs> um, still though, I, I think. By and large, the Red Wings feel pretty good about where they're at. I think fans are probably relatively happy with the Red Wings. I mean, again, this is the fun year. This is the hey, we're slightly better than I expected year. And now no, next year is going to have expectations. I think they're going to be want they're going to want to genuinely be in the playoff next next year. Mm-hmm. Maybe take advantage of Boston showing their age, which maybe you could argue they are a bit this year, and we'll talk about that in a future pod. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they think they can kind of vault into the top four of of the Atlantic. They they have a couple extra picks this year. I think they're their later round picks, um, or at least they're not firsts. Yeah, they're, uh, the, there's an additional second and two additional fourths. Yes, but, but they're also missing like their sixth or something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Tampa, I think one of their calling cards has been how they've been able to develop outside top picks. Mm-hmm. And that's not just through draft picks. They've also like taken advantage of, of you know, bargain basement free agencies, free agent pickups and things like that. Eiserman will have, you know, to, to some extent, Eiserman, I guess, bears some, should get some credit for that, and he will have to do that again, I think, here. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I guess last thing to mention, we didn't really talk about Robbie Fabry at all. Uh, he's getting paid, like, $4 million from next year, which seems like a fairish contract. Mm-hmm. But, again, you, you're talking about this team, how they're going to get to a of being genuinely like quite good and, and a possible contender, you don't get to being a good team by paying average players average money. That's how you get mm-hmm. to being an average team. Right. So if Fabry can outperform that, that that's like, but that that's a possible avenue of future upside. Right. Yeah. If he can show himself to be a little better, I mean, it really does feel to me like the Red Wings are one big piece away. Plus a couple of years. Like, they just mm-hmm. need some more development from some of their prospects. But I do wonder a little bit if they're going to wish that they had gotten one more high pick. But who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, the Buffalo Sabres had a fun little start where they won early in the season. And now they're back in the toilet. Um, the Eichel trade has been discussed pretty extensively. It was a bad situation that they got into. And it was pretty dreadful that it came to that point 
for a lot of reasons that we don't have to rehash. Um, but it's done, and I think they could have done worse. I like Peyton Krebs. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not a star in the making, I don't think, but I think he can be a good player on a good team. Um, they have uh, several prospects that they're pretty excited about, and as always, we talk to front of the pod Sabres Kevin for a couple things. Uh, he said they're not good. But they show flashes of what you can see in the future. They've yet to play a game with all of Cousins, Krebs, and Paterka in the lineup because of COVID. But the development of Paterka, JJ Paterka is point per game in the AHL. Uh, Jack Quinn, who is having a great scoring year in the AHL. And then Owen Power, who is having a great college year. That's gone about as well as they could have hoped. Right, and I think that's the... That's the bright side for for Sabres fans right the yeah. the, te- the team is bad I think they know the team is bad we're not yeah. going to be like we're not going to Ryan Lambert this and be like oh your team is bad and you should feel bad they, they're, <laughs> they're aware yeah they, they've noticed Sabres fans understand bad hockey like few others yeah right so they they know they know when the team is bad um yeah. this is I feel like with the Sabres compared to the I mean maybe it's a little unfair to talk about this with the Red Wings too because with the Red Wings we talked a bit more about the how they're doing this year and what their players are showing. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of that matters for the Sabres at all. Because, <laughs> like, there's two, three players here who are on the next good Sabres team. Yeah, probably. Right, and it gets a very small amount of players. Yeah, there are several players, and then there's Jeff Skinner, who will be there forever because that contract is immovable. Mm-hmm. But... They've also gotten decimated with COVID and injuries. So, like, yes. their, their team stats are really, really bad. But we, are, we, and I think Sabres fans, are far more interested in how the individuals who are going to be a factor going forward have tracked. Yeah. And so we just want to talk about really who will be a name that you will have to know if the Sabres become good again in two or three or four years. You know, who's going to be someone that you're keeping an eye on as they come over the boards. And so I already mentioned Peyton Krebs, who was the prime return in the Jack Jack Eichel trade. Um, Kevin's line was, you can tell he has elite passing ability, but he needs to get stronger on the puck and work up to NHL speed. Um, He seems to me like, yeah, a good complimentary player. He's not, you know, going to ever be Jack Eichel, which is an obscene obscene standard for any player to meet. Um, And I do wonder about the star potential here, because I don't think Cousins quite has it either. No, and even when we had Kevin on the pod, he said Cousins, like, ideally peaks as a very good second nine center mm-hmm. right or that's like the reasonable peak obviously he can have outlier production and, and go beyond that yeah so it's still they definitely want another offensive star they will be picking high enough that it's certainly you know credible that they might get one they and they also have two first round picks which are going to be late first round picks because they're vegas and um florida mm-hmm. but also i mean when you have they have extra picks generally as well. Yeah. If th- th- that's, that's also potentially someone uh, or a spot where you can trade up. If yeah. there's a guy you, who you like that falls, if you know, the equivalent of, I don't know if this year's Marco Rossi drops slightly to, to where below where you expect. Although granted they, they were the reason for Marco Rossi dropping because they picked Jack Quinn over him. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but anyways, you get the point. Yeah. Um, Owen power. So first overall pick last draft in admittedly a weird draft year. There was not a 
huge consensus number one. I mean, I think power was expected to go first. Yes. But there wasn't the sense that, oh my god, we have a world beater here. However, I'm not totally ruling out, oh my god, they have a world beater here. Because he yeah, does look I'm, very good to me. <laughs> his, his development since then has been very good. And I think... Uh, I feel like I might have... Kevin might have tweeted this. And again, all, a lot of our Sabres knowledge comes from this one <laughs> intelligent fan. Yeah. Um, but I, I think with power, it's like... It, it was one of the things where... I think some of the analytical models were slightly lower down on him. Mm. Because he was more of a tools guy than a production guy, but now the production has caught up to the tools and now it kind of everyone's in agreement. It's like, okay, yeah, there's, there's like very little to be picky about with this guy. He's just really good. Yeah. Uh, the world juniors were too short before they got canceled for anyone to really alter their reputation, but I don't think it hurt Owen Powers collective stock that he had a hat trick in a game against Czechia. Early in the tournament, he looked like the most dangerous player on the ice to me in the course of that game. And admittedly, you know, he's big, he's smart, he's mobile. Those things are all going to stand out, especially at the junior level. But I, I certainly think right now, in its early days, I'm expecting this guy to be a real, very good defenseman. Mm-hmm. So that that's quite positive. Um and there's a bit of a sunrise sunset thing going on here because Rasmus Dahlin is not quite doing what they would have hoped when they picked him first overall. Yes, and I mean, if you'll recall, the messaging around Dahlin was very much this guy cannot miss. Yes, he was considered a star. And he's a good offensive defenseman, don't get me wrong. A very good offensive defenseman. Yeah, he Dahlin is not a bad player, but... He's not lifting the Sabres when he's on the ice to great heights either. Mm-hmm. And I think that's... His most recent... So last season, the, the 2020 season, was maybe one of Dalian's stronger ones by play driving. I think he, he kind of sorted some stuff out. I don't know what specifically, but his results were a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um. So it, it's, and and this year again, his I think his RAPM is, uh, or sorry, his um, evolving hockey isolates are above average, which is good, but it seems less likely and less likely he's going to boom into being this absolute superstar, you know, the way we talked about Kale McCarr earlier on. Yeah, like that's the unfortunate thing about going first overall is the expectation is star player. You should be in the contending for the best player on the team, for one of the best at your position in the league. And I think now the reasonable expectation for Rasmus Dahlin is not that. It's not that he's going to be out of the NHL or anything like that. It's just a little lower than hoped. And unfortunately, a little lower than hoped at first overall stings. That hurts uh, when you're the Sabres. And so... Yeah, yeah. the the Sabres have gotten second overall first overall and first overall in like uh, actually and another second overall which they used to collect sam reinhardt mm-hmm. but like they're what they've acquired from those picks has been probably way lower than average and part of that that's due to their own mismanagement because they got like a superstar in jack eichel and and you know sewered that relationship mm-hmm. through as, as we said i was alluded to like a variety of ways which we don't really need to get into right 
so, so yeah, yeah with, with Dalin it's 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 tricky he's on a bridge deal right now I'm unsure of whether I'm unsure of what he settles into long term he still is young they mm-hmm. aren't playing him a lot of minutes him and uh, Henry Yoki Harju well, and by the way trading Alex Nienander cutting bait early on Alex Nienander for Yoki Harju looks like that was a, a solid move yes yeah. Um, so there, there, are, there is. It's not bad, but I'm, not, I'm just not convinced Dalian can be the number one guy on a, on a contender. Yeah, and so you know maybe it'll work out in the sense of if Owen Power can do that, yeah. Rasmus Dalian settles in as kind of this glitzy offensive uh, defenseman on the second pairing. I, one thing I would like to see, and I don't know if Dalian's at fault for this, um, the Sabers' first power play unit, which Dalian is on, is mm-hmm. really bad. Uh, as far as I can tell, at least in terms of generating chances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this, that's one way where, you know, if you are, if you're a Sabres fan and you want something on the margins of, okay, you see Dalian's actually helping in this regard. You, obviously, you want the even strength things to come, to come first, but a, power, a strong power play quarterback would be a nice thing to fall back on and a good way to provide some additional value. It's unclear whether Dalian is doing that either. And again, I'm not sure if he's entirely at fault for that, um, but it's it's not amazing. Uh, the the Sabers' goal rate on the power play is is okay. It's like average or so. Okay. Um, but they are really really low in in shots and expected goals. We know that that doesn't track as well at five v four because teams can be more intentional about the ways in which they create shots, and that can exploit. Um, blind spots in expected goals models. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I would, I would be curious to see, I guess, get more thoughts from a Sabres fan's perspective about like how, how good is Dalian at, at running a power play right now. Um, I've also seen Sabres Kevin complain about the first unit power play, and anecdotally, it does seem to revolve a lot around Tage Thompson and Victor Olofsson shots, mm-hmm. which those are decent shooters, to be sure, but... They're, they're not getting much around the net front, which I, which might put a cap on how good your power play can be unless you have a Stamkos Ovechkin-level shooter. Yeah. I, I mean, to be honest, I think if I'm the Buffalo Sabres, I'm saying I would like to see more on this power play. I would love for someone to step up and show me, but we don't have the personnel yet. I, I would say, like, there's a big player who has to be coming who is going to be playing on PP1 for the Sabres. And I think that that would help things along. Um, now, that said, I don't know if they're going to get him in the draft this year. It's it's a bit of a crapshoot. So, the extremely long run of failure and mismanagement in Buffalo makes this all feel more desperate than it otherwise would. Because this is like a standard step in the rebuild cycle. Right. It's just they've been doing this for since 2013. Yeah, I, I right. would say so. I mean, around the time there was the last good Sabres team. Um, they're not going to make the playoffs this year. They're not going to make the playoffs next year unless they get an extraordinary goalie run or something else pretty crazy happens. Um, it's just, it's, it's going to be a bit of a ways back, I think. Um, and that's got to be frustrating. But if you kind of separate yourself and say, okay, what came before came before, how are they doing now? You can feel positive about some things, especially um, the analytics hires. 
Yes. Um, you know, if you care about that sort of thing, there are several people on hockey Twitter. Um, uh, Dom G, uh, Matt Barlow, uh, Sam Ventura, who are all now in the Sabres analytics department. And so there are some some smart people in there now, and the Sabres have made some smart moves recently. The Rasmus Ristolainen trade we talked about, we thought that was highway robbery. Mm-hmm. Eichel, I don't think, was ideal, but that was mostly situational. And it seems like there are some better choices being made than the, there were previously. Um, so there's some hope that maybe things are going to turn around in the next two or three years if there's they continue to make smart choices. Yeah, and they're also... They're a bad team. They're going to set off a little bit at this year. Like, I don't know, maybe someone will throw you a late-round pick for Mark Jankowski. Maybe someone will throw you a late-round pick for Colin Miller, for Will Butcher, whoever. Mm-hmm. Right? So, um, there's... yeah. The, hey, maybe, maybe the Leafs will finally get Mark Pissick. <laughs> As the prophecy foretold. Yeah, so... <laughs> Covers both our forwards and defense depth positions. <laughs> So, you know, on balance, I think, look, Buffalo is in the same spot we often find Buffalo in the standings. If you want to look at it in a more detailed way, there are some positive signs. They need some things to break right for them. Like, I, I'm talking a big lottery hit, basically. And and that would, I think, really help things along. Um, yeah. With all of these teams, if they get Shane right, you know, it changes the trajectory of their franchise. Yeah. You know, that, that makes a big difference. Uh, there was one other thing I wanted to mention, just because Kevin pointed it out to me. Devin Levi, who is a goalie prospect that they got the Sam Reinhardt trade, picked him up from Florida, has a 9.55 in his college hockey this year. That feels like a really high save percentage to me. That You know, this is not sophisticated analysis. This is, wow, look, number big. But, wow, look, number big. Mm-hmm. So, just something that I wanted to mention in case he shows up in like two or three years in the NHL and stones everyone blind. And then I can say, hey, I mentioned him briefly. Um, the Ottawa Senators. Ooh. This team sucks. This team is ass a bad team. <laughs> um, and you know what? I expected more from them. I overestimated the Ottawa Senators, uh, which is not something that I do because I enjoy it. I just thought that this was going to be sort of a scrappy, not great, but persistent team that would hang around uh, the, the playoff race and then miss it. Like, I expected them to approach what Detroit would do. That was stupid of me because I forgot that they're relying on Matt Murray, who can't play goal anymore. And also, it's just like, just the bottom half of their roster doesn't have NHL players. No. And to be clear, that's been exacerbated by COVID outbreaks and some injuries. Like, all of these teams have missed personnel for some stretches. But they don't really have enough players. Um, at the top of the roster, not really, but especially at the bottom of the roster. And this team is further away than I thought they were. But let's start with the positive. Drake Batherson is cool. Yes, he's quite good, actually. Yeah, he's uh, better than point per game as a first-line right winger. He's big, he's offensively adept, he is just a neat player. And so they have this top line right now. Um, It's been impaired by Norris having an absence lately, but their top line for the bulk of the year was Brady Kachuk, Josh Norris at center, and then Batherson on the right wing, and they've handily outscored their opponents. 
while getting outshot and outchanced all to hell. So they're on a huge shooting heater. Yes, and it would not surprise you to hear that both Norris and Batherson themselves are on personal large, like, really impressive shooting runs. Yes. Um, and, I mean, good, that can go... That's good. Yeah. yeah, that can go two ways, right? You can say, okay, you know, that's, gonna, that's probably going to regress going forward. But as we said, you know, it's very important to have a path to someone being, you know, have, have a path for your young players to be true star NHLers. A big part of that path is open if Norris and Batheson are true plus shooters. Right. We've talked about Brady Kachuk in the past. His weakness is that he's a minus shooter. You know, he gets these chances in the goal mouth. He hacks away. The puck doesn't go in that often. And here we are. Um, but if Batherson can be a real offensive presence... And he's 23, so... Yeah, they're both kind of older maturing. than you think. Yeah, like, he's maturing. But that said, they have him locked up for term, for five years after this one, at just under $5 million. So, if he does turn into, like, a bonafide first-line right wing, that's a good deal for a long stretch. And Ottawa needs good deals because Eugene Melnick does not like paying money to people. So... Anything that saves them some money gives them a better chance at building stuff elsewhere. Um, I don't think that Kachuk Norris Batherson is a real first line. Yeah. The, the other direction of, you know, kind of what we, I was saying, on the, 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 the con side to, to like, oh, they're outscoring people, but it's based on shooting percentages. Well, if that comes down even a little bit, you, don't, you just don't have a huge margin for error. Mm-hmm. Right, like if if Batherson and Norris are only slightly above average shooters, or they're only you know, maybe you know, above average but not elite shooters, well then that eats into that that margin by a large amount because right now they're performing like elite shooters, mm-hmm. and it makes it so that you become a lot less certain about what this line can actually do for the team. Right, if this is going to be a first line. You want it to outscore opponents, which it's done in the early going here, but you want it to do it on a consistent basis. Right, and you and want like, it to scale as well. Yeah. You know, it, look, if you get 63% of the goals when you're on the ice, you are a superstar line, but there, there's just like every sign that that's probably not going to continue to this extent, at least. So it's a question of where it settles, and there and absolutely the... could be a rising tide lifts all boats thing mm-hmm. if they start getting, you know, if the team as a whole gets better. Because yeah. they're reliant on him. Yeah. Yeah, and there, there's like, a, a, as you said, a first line is a high bar on a contending mm-hmm. team, right? That, so that's always what we're discussing here. And I think this is, this is where it, it helps to be a fan of a team that has some, at least some regular season success. Because you, you realize, like, first lines are really good, and they're supposed to be really good. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you, if, you're, if this line settles in as like a 52%, Goals forward line. That's a good line. Mm-hmm. That's not a first line on a contender. Yeah. Barring some, you know, really crazy depth contributions. So it's just the bar is really high for something to be a true first line. And I think I, I didn't appreciate that when I was a fan of a team that sucked. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't, you, you, cause you, you don't see the high-end talent as much. So you're like, oh, yeah, you know. The, these guys can be like a first line and then you, you get a real first line and like, oh yeah, you know, turns out Mike Santorelli couldn't have been on a first line. This, unfortunately I am going to be a little bit mean here and I apologize 
to our friends at Silver Seven Sends because I actually was reading around the site in preparation mm-hmm. for this segment. And they had a mailbag. Um, and one of the questions was, who's going to be better? The, um, the peak sends line of the early 2000s, which was Danny Heatley, Jason Spezza, Daniel Alfredson, which was a extraordinarily dominant line. Or a few years from now, Kachuk Norris Batherson. And I was saying, like, there's no universe where it's Kachuk Norris Batherson unless yeah. Norris has the craziest superstar leap I can imagine. Like what Evan Rodriguez is doing in Pittsburgh this year, except for an extended period. Like Spezza, Alfredson, Heatley was a superstar line in the NHL. Danny Heatley scored 50 goals twice. Yeah, he was an obscene sniper. Alfredson is a fringe Hall of Famer, and it's kind of funny that he's not in yet, but I think he'll get in there eventually. And he probably and Jason should be Spezza, in, if we're being honest. Yeah, he probably should be. Jason Spezza, at his peak, was like a top 10 playmaker in the world. Like, he was up there at the very least. Like, that's a line of three exceptional players. Whereas I look at Kachuk, Norris, Batherson... I'm not sure any of those guys is the best player on a good first line. Right I mean, put, put it this way. Do you think any of those guys makes an end-of-year NHL All-Star team at any point in their career? So are they one of the two best players at their position? No. Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. Heatley made it twice, I'm pretty sure, in his 250-goal years. Yeah, as well he should have, frankly. Yes. He was insane. Um, now, that said... This is that thing that we talked about again about if you get someone who can bump everyone down, mm-hmm. that goes a long way. If this is your second line, I can see this maturing into a second line that is pretty difficult to play against. Yes. And that, and that is a component on a good team. And so, you know, there's a question of who's going to bump them down. And the key to that, I think, is how we transition to talking about Tim Stutzla. Exactly. God, I just nailed that segue. I'm so proud of myself. Uh, Tim Stutzla... Uh, is still adjusting to the NHL. And, look, I love his skill level. He's impressed me visually when I've seen him. And he's young as hell. He's young as hell. Lots of runway in front of him. That's it. We know no one is going to look their absolute best on Ottawa. I'm going to preface that by saying. But the question for Stutzla is, are you going to be a bona fide superstar? It's not the, oh, well, this guy will be pretty good. It's... You're the guy who's supposed to elevate this whole franchise. That's a very high standard. And I think if you just try and say, okay, do I feel more or less confident that that's the case than I did, say, six months ago? I might be a little less confident that's the case. I don't think Mm -hmm. it's gone that great. Lots of time for it to work out. I think he will be a good player. Will he be a superstar? Will he be the guy that they build around for an extended period. I'm, I'm less sure of that. Now, in his defense, Ottawa has done... So last year, Stutzla had like some of the worst play-driving stats in the league. Mm-hmm. This year, above average, at least in, in yeah. XG RAPM, and slightly above average in Corsi RAPM as well. Yeah. That's a positive sign. That's, a, in fact, a very positive sign. He's doing this with common line mates of Connor Brown and... Alex Formanton, you know, not not amazing players by any chance. Nick Paul. Yeah. Um, so that's that's positive, and and I'd say that you know that that that's a big 
development. What hasn't come along as much is the personal shooting and chance generation. Yeah. He's and been it, a goals mm-hmm. less than X goals guy. Very small sample. So, you know, that, that's, that's not saying he can never be a good shooter. And he's not generating that many chances at five on five. And that's what gives me pause. Now, if I were an Ottawa fan, and I would honestly respect myself for having listened this far, because I'm sure it's not a ton of fun to listen to you Leaf fans cover up your team. But I would say, hey, you guys just went bananas over Lucas Raymond a couple segments ago, who was picked one pick after Stutzla, same year. Um, and the difference there is basically an October shooting heater. And he said, you know, like, this guy had a lot of points early on. Stutzla, you know, has the skills. He's about to turn 20 next week, still very young. He's already functioning as an NHL player, which at 19 counts as good. And so I do want to say, like, I, I think that by no means am I predicting a bust here. I'm just saying, how high is the height of this? Mm-hmm. Like, how good does Tim Stutzla get at his absolute best? Because that's going to do a lot to determine the ceiling of this franchise. Um, now, granted... They're bad enough that they may pick someone high to play with them, so who knows. But I, I think Stutzla is good, but maybe has not elevated things as well as they would have hoped. Um, yeah, I, I think this year is... If I was a Sens fan, I'd be really encouraged by the improved shot numbers when he's on the ice. Okay. Right, because he was genuinely awful. Like The team was just doing so badly when he was on the ice last year. And right. now they are actually like pretty respectable when he's on the ice. They're, they're actually like sawing off, at least per hockey viz, at greater than 50% XG, which is impressive for Ottawa. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I think that's, there's something to be, to be said for that. He's not getting crazy sheltered either. Um, does play a lot of minutes with Thomas Shabbat, but that's also like, sure, he should. Yeah. And Shabbat, someone else we, we should um, discuss. It's, I think, I was kind of slightly, I think, if anything, I'm slightly more encouraged by Stutzler this year in terms of at least being a good player. Okay. Is the superstar upside there that I, I'm with you, I'm still not sure of. Mm-hmm. It, it's just, again, like, I'm, I'm harping on this a lot, but, like, in order to be a superstar forward, you have to be able to, you have to be able to shoot above expected, basically. Yeah, you got to be a scorer, and, like, there are exceptional yes. defensive centers, but, like, that's a very rare thing. Well, and even, like, you, you think about exceptional defensive centers, you know, even, even someone like Anse Kopitar has spent most of his year, most of his career being a plus shooter, mm-hmm. right? Jonathan Taves spent most of his career being, like, a slightly plus shooter. Yeah, so... Patrice it, Bergeron, same, same deal there. It's just, I don't know, I... I who, who's, who's the best NHL forward who is, like, consistently just an average shooter? I want to say Jordan Stahl. Ma- yeah. Maybe a few years ago. But, um... Yeah, but, and he's, yeah. like, a savant defensively. Yeah, and, you know, that's putting a bar on Stutzel. Well, we're just saying, hey, he's looking pretty okay now in shot numbers. These are the, the best of the best. These are Selkie contenders. Right, exactly. And, and, and Stahl, I mean, you could probably do... Stahl was, like, a consistently below-average shooter, really. Um, and, like, if Stutzel becomes an average shooter, then there's, there's other paths to, to that. But it's just... Basically, every contending team has a guy or a couple of guys where you can think, that person could make it to 
um, an NHL all-star team. And by that, I mean the postseason all-star team, like the top two at their position team. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Sens, I don't think, have that right now, except maybe Thomas Shabbat. And I, I <coughs> excuse me, we should talk about Shabbat. Mm-hmm. I have a kind of cruel comparison to make here. <laughs> I think he's Canadian Seth Jones. Mm. Go for he, it. He plays an eye-popping amount of minutes. He looks very good when doing so. His on-ice impact is... And I'll, let me preface this by saying I think um, Shabbat is probably better than Seth Jones, but just the archetype. It's like his on-ice impact is not awful, but it's not as good as you would expect by his reputation. And remember, Shabbat is getting paid. Yeah. He's not on a cheap deal. No. He's, he's getting paid, like, I think probably a top 10 defenseman in the league. And to be clear, I was saying good for Ottawa for shelling out to keep a core player. Because the concern with Ottawa has always been that they won't be willing to do that when pushed yeah. to shove. Um, in Shabbat's case, they ponied up. Which is good for them. Um, that said, and I can't help wondering this: Why does he play so many minutes? Like, I know that it's not like they have anyone else, but it's also like it feels like you're really kind of grinding him into the ground in a bunch of nothing seasons. Yes. Um, so I just question that on the coaching level. Even if you think he can do it, and maybe you think you're training him to do it. Um, it seems a bit like you're running some increased risk to your player over time, but what do I know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so the question is, if Thomas Chabot is far and away your best defenseman, you're playing him 25 minutes a night because you're determined to do that, how good a team are you? And right. Yeah, and I think, I think Chabot is good. Yeah. Very good, even. like For sure, he's an above-average defenseman. That's not even a question, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, is he one of the 10 best defensemen in the world? That I'm less sure of. But, I, I mean, I think he can, he can get there, but th- that's the thing. They, they need him to be kind of unequivocally so, right? right. They, they, he, he's, he's their ticket to high-end defensive talent, especially because Eric Brandstrom hasn't seemed to develop the way people thought he might have. Yeah, Eric Brandstrom was quite well thought of in his draft. Um, again, very offensively gifted. He was a big and, reason why people thought the Mark Stone trade was actually like pretty good for, for Ottawa in terms of the, the, the haul they got back, and it just it hasn't aged well. Yeah, it, and you know, he's kind of on the fringes of the Sens roster. I hate to say it, but this is not the most competitive defense group to make in the NHL. There are openings, and you, you know, right now, he's made it onto the primary roster, partly facilitated by COVID and injuries. But it's like, when you're on the fringes of that group, you're 22 years old, it starts to be like, hey, okay, what are we really expecting from you going forward? Are you just a third-pair guy? Or, or no more? And so I, I think there are certainly are some questions there. We've talked about Brady Kachuk a few times on this podcast. And we've said, you know, if he can just figure out how to finish, if he can just figure out how to finish, um, he's on a line that has a good PDO right now. But if he doesn't have a personal finishing level that's pretty high, uh, you do start to wonder about paying him $8.2 million into the future. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I, I think, you know, if you want to take the dark side view of the Sens, and I suspect a lot of our listeners will, because they're fans, you would say, okay, they're, this is a team that would prefer not to spend money for the most part, and that is paying Brady Kachuk and Thomas Chabot a combined 16 plus million into the future to be maybe sort of pretty good, but not as good as they ought to be. Yeah, and I, I think Shabbat is a better contract in that way than Kachuk, because like, with Kachuk, mm-hmm. I just see no avenue to him being a... I, I've given up on his finishing coming around. Okay. Because I, I think... I think I'm, I'm relatively convinced that it, it's... His, his incredible finishing, or his incredibly bad finishing, and his, by the stats, incredibly good play driving are exactly at odds with each other. Right. And if he becomes a better finisher, it'll come at the expense of, like, that play driving to some extent. He's not very good defensively either. No. So, What he had was this massive offensive generation. Exactly. But if that is just him shoving pucks into pads, then it's not that useful. Shabbat, mm-hmm. I, uh, I, I think maybe I'm just a more... A more I have a more er, uh, bigger error bars in my evaluations of, of defenders. And... Shabbat absolutely passes the eye test with flying cutters, and his stats, again, they're not bad by any means. They're, they're actually, like, reasonably decent. Shabbat has had genuinely very good years. Yeah. Right? And, and again, this year, he is doing fine. He's, he's above average. Yeah. Like, the, there's no team that would turn down Thomas Shabbat at the side of the road. Yes. Um, you know, he's, he's a bit pricey, but he's a very good player. Um, there's just the question of... Who's going to elevate this team? I, we should mention Jake Sanderson is their defense prospect mm-hmm. of the future, still in college. Well thought of. Um, lots of people saying that he's going to be an NHL or certainly of some description and possibly of quite an elevated one. Um, Matt Murray, I've mentioned in passing, and I think he's just kind of busted. Mm-hmm. You know, Th- that contract where they appeared to bid against nobody to get him to be their goalie of the future uh, looks pretty dreadful um he's already cleared waivers this season been sent to the ahl he's making an increasing amount of money which is going to concern the sands but i don't think he's tradable um unless you take junk back so it's kind of some concerns here and it's always a little ambiguous how much the sands can really afford they're not generally a cap team sometimes they're a very long way from being a cap team but if you're shelling out a lot of pure dollar salary into the future, that may hurt your ability to complement these players even when they get good. You know, if Stutzla comes into his own and you have this team starting to rise up the standings, mm-hmm. are you really regretting that you're spending all this money on Colin White, Matt Murray, um, and then even to a lesser extent, Brady Kachag? Because now Eugene is kind of saying, well, I don't want to open the wallet any further. Yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I, they'll, they'll pick high again and, you know, there are some good pieces here, but they're further away than I thought they really are. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Habs beloved by all, <laughs> uh, l- look, okay. Some of this is injuries. They've had a lot of injuries. They've been hit with, hard with COVID outbreaks. They aren't this bad. No, they're but, definitely not. <laughs> that said, Wow. Things have gotten away from them. Yes. Um, this is just this absolute yeah. like Murphy's Law season for them. Yeah, it's almost hard to conceive of 
what more could have gone wrong. Um, at, we're definitely at the maybe it's a blessing in disguise point. Mm-hmm. Um, because they are going to tank hard. They are now in last place in points, uh, I believe. Um, no, they're, they're sorry. They're dueling with uh, with the Arizona Coyotes, mm-hmm. and they have pulled back ahead of them at present. Sorry, eighteen seventeen. I apologize, but like they're right down there for the Shane Wright pick. Yes, and that's our fear that they're going to get it. Um. The team last year that made that run to the finals was playing over its head, but also it had a top-pairing defenseman in Shea Weber, who is now semi-retired, um, a top-line center in Phil Deneau, who didn't score much but took heavy defensive minutes and played very well, and who's now doing that for the Los Angeles Kings. And it had prime Carey Price, and Carey Price, on his game, showed that he can still be one of the best goalies on the planet. Um, Price is working his way back to playing. He said he's still playing on playing this year, although you would have to think the org is now thinking maybe just take the year. Uh, at this point, you, you know, really focus on recovering your health and getting back to prime condition for next season. Because right now, if he plays well, that's to their detriment. Mm-hmm. It hurts their draft position. So they've definitely had obvious reasons for decline but they're still doing worse than i think anyone anticipated like before this season i had them as fifth in the atlantic and right now they're in last and look poised to hold on to that spot yeah i'd I'd say the biggest issue for them biggest long-term issue is what happened to cool caulfield yes he is having a nightmare year we talked about when you're a scoring winger it's important that you score well, that applies a lot with Cole Caulfield. They, like, this is what he's for as a shooter. Uh, one goal in 26 games, not going to cut it. Your stat line should not look like Nick Ritchie mm-hmm. <laughs> this season. And at the risk of indulging a bit of size bias here, Cole Caulfield is 5'7". He's very small. And I think hockey has progressed to the point where we say, yeah, we can have small wingers who score and fill the net. When those wingers stop scoring it kind of throws it into sharper relief that they may not have the most complete game in other respects. You know, he's still a capable player, but he has a very defined skill that's supposed to be what makes him. And it's not been in evidence in the NHL so far um, this season. And that's bad. Yes, that is, that is not good. <laughs> yeah. So, with, yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, with the, with the Habs, I mean... I think to some extent they they just view this year as a mulligan, as you said. They 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 turn into the skid. Yep. And you know, for a team that's talked for and then for a long time has accurately bemoaned its lack of high end talent, they have a chance to get it now. Now we said mm-hmm. that when they picked third and they picked Yasperi Kotkaniemi and how'd that work out? But oh, you know, they're, at some point they will pick a player so great offensively that even the Habs cannot ruin him. Yeah. And is Shane Wright that guy? Maybe. Um, you, you know, I think they're in a weird spot. They have a lot of these supporting mid-level contracts that aren't necessarily bad. And there are a lot for players that are between 28 and 32, for the most part. Jeff Petrie's older. <laughs> but 
you can still anticipate getting contributions for a lot from a lot of these players next season when it's presumably not quite the same nightmare year that you're having. Yeah. And so it wouldn't surprise me if they surged back up the standings just in terms of finding their level again. But yes, I, 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 I don't think either of us really thinks they're this bad. In, no, in a general as fun as it, as it is. No, they're not. The question is, okay, if they sink that low, what is their true level? Like, how good is this team actually now? And where is the improvement coming from? Cole Caulfield, much as I just kind of dunked on him, probably won't be this bad. Mm-hmm. You know, on a going forward basis, I anticipate he'll figure it out. He's 21. Um, but that said, there are definite concerns here. Uh, I think Nick Suzuki has maybe done less offensively than was hoped for in this early Yeah, I, I think Suzuki is, is quite good, but yeah. it's his defense is the good side of it. It's, it's like his defense is more impressive than his offense. Yeah, and we're just getting around to that question again here. Okay, if you have what looks like a good defensive center in Nick Suzuki, how good at offense does he have to be, and how does that set the ceiling of your team? And the Habs have always struggled with having good enough offensive centers. And if Suzuki kind of settles in as a good defensively guy, they may not quite hit the levels that they're hoping for because they don't have enough scoring. Um, lots of weird contracts on this roster. Like, the Mike Hoffman deal is... Like, I get why they did it, but, like... Now they have this 32-year-old power play specialist who's making $4.5 million against the cap, mm-hmm. who's not really scoring at a, a great rate. So, like, is he just kind of dead weight at that point? Yeah. Uh, yeah. There are, a lot, yeah, just a lot of weird little deals like that. Like, you know, the Josh Anderson deal. Well, he's 27, but that runs into the future. The Brennan Gallagher deal. When does that start getting old? Lots of things where I think that they're kind of in a bit of a transition stage, and that makes me think that they're not planning on this being a deep dip. No, they definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, which I don't know. You know, if I were a Habs fan, I would be tempted to say I'd like to to really start rebuilding, and instead of doing the retooling that Mark Bergevin did basically his whole tenure, mm-hmm. um, to, to try and keep them competitive in the short term. You know, the biggest concern, if you're a Habs fan, is that they'll keep trying to be competitive in the short term, and they will not succeed in elevating themselves. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, we just mostly wanted to mention that Cole Caulfield has one goal. Yes. Again, Um, um, fewer than Nick Ritchie. Yeah. Actually, Nick Ritchie passed him in the scoring race last night. Yeah. So, And we were very proud of him for it. Okay, and so we were going to do a bad take of the week. Yes. So, when we talk about bad teams, Mm -hmm. even if they're not that bad anymore, (laughs) the Oilers always hold a place in our hearts. And so we wanted to mention, the Leafs beat the Oilers earlier, and now the Oilers played well with McDavid and RNH out, and you can say, hey, they hung in there against a good team, the Leafs, believe it or not. Um... Whatever. And, you know, in the individual context of that game, okay, we did something not that different with the Avs at the start of this episode. But the whole tenor of the Edmonton media is to give 
management the benefit of the doubt until management is actually fired. And mm-hmm. at this point, it's like, how can you still be grading the Edmonton Oilers on a curve? Yeah. Like, it's, it's not okay anymore. Okay, it's, it's over. It's been too long that this team has been too bad, but carried by two superlative offensive players to results that are otherwise utterly undeserved. Like, their bottom six still gets destroyed when they go out there. Their goaltenders are Mike Smith, who is 300 years old, and Mikko Koskinen, who is bad. You know, this was a team that had pretensions to contending, and that should have walked to second in the Pacific Division, in my opinion. I mean, at most you say, okay, Calgary was unexpectedly good for a bit there. The Oilers will walk to third. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we're now we're talking, will this team make the playoffs? Probably, but, like, what the fuck, man? We're still talking that way about them in the how many years of McDavid has it been? Um, it's kind of staggering that the bar is still... It's, it's in like hell. the Yeah, it's like the Oilers are our little fuck-up son who we're just happy when he gets a C plus because at least he didn't light the test on fire this time. Um, again, you have the best player in the world. Do better. Um, don't go trading for Duncan Keith. Any thoughts on that? <laughs> it's just, it's comical. Yeah. It's really absurd. I, I, I can't get over just how bad the Edmonton media is, how sycophantic they are. And it's just, it feels like there's no shame there. There's no. no there's no evaluation of, okay, I thought every single move Peter Chiarelli made was awesome, and then that didn't work out well. Maybe I should reevaluate to some extent how I think about hockey and make sure I understand, like, well, you know, what, what's a good move? Maybe I can learn from the people who are correct when I was not. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, no, we are doubling down. You know, yeah. the king is dead. Long live the king. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's incredible. Um, Ken Holland, I think, has been better than Pete Chiarelli because I the mean, bar's low, on the ground there. Yeah, but... again, the, the bar's even lower than hell. It's the bar's in the <laughs> fucking core of the earth. <laughs> yeah, like at a certain point, it's like, when is the expectation that this team be good? You know, the Leafs media kind of gets ragged on for being alternately hysterical and then like these brief spasms of insane positivity where we're like can Ilya Mikhaev be a first liner and then like these depths of criticism but I think Leafs media is unequivocally better than Oilers media where seemingly every major newspaper columnist who writes about the team is like boy great work and if it's a problem the problem is always some random scoring forward that they've taken a dislike to. And it's never, hey, did the people who built this team, you know, look at the players they were dealing with before doing any of the things that they did? And, you know, we have things where the Duncan Keith deal, for example, there was no reason to pay that price for that player. And there are a ton of transactions like that up and down this roster. And so the result is... You have a team that has two players who are running away with the scoring race. They're not just leading it. They are poised to win it by 25 plus points. And still, we're having conversations of, boy, the Oilers better ste- you know, steady things out or they're going to miss the playoffs. 
Um, that is staggering. And in the context of Oliver making fun of Edmonton, which we do regularly, I just don't want to undersell how seriously poor a failure is and how bad it is not to point that out. Yes. Okay, right. th- that was a solid rant. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> it felt good. Yeah, thank you everyone for, for listening. This has been one of our longer pods in, in a while, but it's, it's good to get back in the swing of things and have some fun stuff to discuss. You can catch all of mine and Huleman's work at pensionplanpuppets.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at RV and AT Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Bye.